take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians tonight. We're still on a series, our series on idolatry. Tonight we're going to talk about evangelizing idolaters, fancy title, postmodern world. It's page 986 if you're using a Red Pew Bible. We're going to read verses 4 through 10. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 10. Paul writes, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because, here's the reason why we know you're elect. Because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we not need say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the coming or the wrath to come. Why do we believe some things and not others? The field of study, big word, um, is epistemology. Epistemology is the theory or study of knowledge, why we know things, how we know things, why we believe them, and so forth. Um, why it's not just an opinion, but it's actually a fact or a belief that we have. And then you apply that to biblical or religious beliefs, and it's called biblical or religious epistemology. So why do some people believe in the existence of God and some people don't? I don't know if you've ever talked to someone who was an atheist or didn't believe in God, but they have reasons. Why is it that they don't and we do? Truth claims. Here are some truth claims, and I want you to look on there and tell me which one of those, out of all those ones on there, are you happy to believe tonight? These are things that you would say, I believe in those. Okay? Two plus two is four. Everybody believe that? Okay. Trenton is the capital of New Jersey. Salt is a compound of sodium and chloride. Yes? You sure? How many are a little iffy on that one? You stunk at science too, huh? Yeah. Okay. MRI scans show my, my new? My leg. I don't know how that got in there. My knee. Oh, knee. Okay, that's what it is. It's missing a knee. Knee cartilage is bad. Okay? Do you believe that? You don't believe that. Okay? I was born in Camden, New Jersey. How many believe that I was born in Camden? Okay. How many don't believe I was born in Camden? I was born in Camden. Come on. <laughs> Cooper Hospital. Kevin Carver. Whew. All right. Um, I went to elementary school in Finley, Ohio. Yes. I have a cousin named Robert. Lacus is the best tasting coffee. 
How many ever heard of Lacus? It's Greek coffee. What was the New Testament written in? Thank you. Mountain Dew is medicinal. How many believe that? Thank you, Greg. May your tribe increase. All right. I love my wife. All right. Okay. Now, what's different about the first half of that list from the second half of that list? The first half of that list, till I was, till you get to born in Camden. Yeah, knee is a misspelled, but yeah, the, the. yeah. Okay, you know these things, right? So I can prove them logically, right? Empirically, scientifically, we could prove. But can you prove that I have a cousin named Robert? What if I told you that you didn't? This is funny. When Mackenzie had one of her surgeries at Children's Hospital. My wife was in here. She's in nursery tonight. She would tell you that she was... Oh, she isn't here. You're not... Where, I, are you in my wife's pew? Oh, okay. All right, all right. All right. Tell me... Say, I don't always say this right, but Mackenzie had surgery, and she was coming out of the anesthesia, and she was all antsy and frustrated and whatever... Right, and so what, what did they say, honey, in Children's Hospital that they should do for her? Give her Mountain Dew. Yes, thank you. <laughs> they went right to the refrigerator, got a can of Mountain Dew, and said, here, honey, and I said, Lord, you are good. Mm-hmm. Right there. So that's not, see, you'd have to trust me on that one, but you don't know the truth about that, right? All right? And so, so the bottom half of the list, you don't know about lack of shit, even though that coffee existed. Right? So the ones on the bottom are what? You're going to have to, you believe them or not believe them based on me. Well, you think you can trust me if I'm fooling around? It's just, you know, so your experience or knowing me, right? That's the difference. Now, what do you do with that when it comes to religious truth claims? Because I can tell you tonight, and let's say not everyone in here is a Christian or believer and even comes to church, or I could tell you Jesus is the Son of God. Easter. He died on the cross, was buried, and then on the third day rose again. And you would say, I don't believe that. Why? Because, because Pastor Walker, you can't, you can't do that empirically. You can't scientifically prove that. Or maybe some people think they can. But they might not believe it. Why don't they believe it? How do they make that decision? In ancient Greece, the Greeks in the first century when the Bible was written said there were three components of how things, most people believe that things were true, all right? Stay with me, because this is, I'm going to show you from our text tonight how important this is. Three things. Logos is what I say. So truth claims are always propositional. In other words, I say things to you. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus rose from the dead in the third grade. Third grade. Third day, right? A Mountain Dew is medicinal, you know, okay? So you have to decide, okay? Now some things, two plus two is four. You say, oh yeah, everybody, I can prove that because everyone knows that. It's in my math book, blah, 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 right? But you might say, hey, your cousin is Robert. That's not empirical or scientific or logic. I, I'm going to have to believe that only because of my relationship experience with you, okay? But Lagos isn't about that part. Lagos is just true because I said it to you and it's based on knowledge or some sort of proven fact, right? Pathos is my emotions, 
or feelings. I may tell you something, see, and you may not, you may not know if it's true or not, but you feel it. And you say, wow, is that, that really moves me. And you don't know if that kid on the Compassion commercial on television is really suffering, but man, it moves you, right? And you see that little kid and the stomach sticking out and you, the bad, the flies are all over him, and you don't even know if your money's going to ever make it to that kid, but it moves you. You feel like, wow, I got to do something, right? That's the emotions, the feelings, the passion of it. And then they said ethos. And that is the way the person lives, right? So I was so glad, and I I know you would, but the last one was I love my wife. And all of you said, oh, yes, you love your wife. Why? Because you know that I care about my wife, and I've been here long enough that you would see that in our relationship, right? So you know the character. You know how that lives out in my life, right? So in how does that play out then when it comes to evangelism? How do we reach people with the gospel? Let me give you the next one. Truth claims. Similar ones, a few different ones, okay? Remember our three categories? Logos, fact, proven. Pathos, emotions, feelings. And then ethos, character, what you know that person to be and how they live, Okay? Two plus two is four. What is that? Log. That's a fact, right? We just know that. I don't have to get two plus two. Oh, Pastor Walker, you moved me. That was all. No, we don't. It's not emotional. Trenton is the capital of New Jersey, right? It will rain tomorrow. Well, if you already saw the news and the weather today, you might say Lagos because that's a fact. I heard that. But if not, you might go, oh. Probably, because our rain's been so much rain, and you're feeling like, yeah, another day of rain, probably. So you might believe me, even though you don't have any verification of it. Buy this car. It's in good shape. What do you know about me and cars? What? Nothing good, right? So if I told you, yeah, buy this car. It's in good shape. You might go, not really thinking that's a good idea. I did the 300 free fall, 300 foot free fall great adventure. Do you know it's true? Okay. That's logos for you, right? But for the rest of you, you might go, yep, he does really weird things, so he probably would do that, right? Okay, I make a good breakfast sandwich. What do you know about me and food? Yeah, you know this is far more true than about the car thing, right? I'm your father. No, that's not going to happen. And I love you. You might hopefully say yes, right? So we could go down the list and many other ones, and you could say, oh, yeah. But, you know, here's the thing. All of these three are necessary. Imagine, you know, it was just Valentine's Day, and I go home to my wife, Chris, on Valentine's Day, and I go, honey, I love you. And she goes, prove it. Hey, what do you mean? She goes, I want it proven. I want a formula. I want some demonstration. I said, honey, we've married 32 years. I want, why? Do I, I don't have to prove it, right? Do I? Okay. Right? So that's why I don't get her any gifts. I didn't get her anything. No. Well, because it's not, why? Because she feels it. It's experienced. She knows me, right? So we have that. I don't have to have the factual part. She's going to believe it and then live that out, Right? What about the Bible? Now look at our verse. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5. Our theme this year is go to grow. So as we go, how should we go? What do we need to know about people who are lost, idolatrous in our world today? How can they be one to Jesus? Okay, see if you can figure out. There's all three parts in verse 5. We'll give the first one. Ready? Because our gospel came to you not only in word. So what of those three components is that one? Logos, right? It's knowledge. So Paul said, here's how we win people, Lord. Here's the first component, logos. You have to have word. The word is in there. The gospel has content. Jesus died. He rose again on the third day. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. All of those things are in there. So there is the word that you have to speak. So there's logos. If people are going to know something about facts and history and things that took place biblically. All right? But then it says, but also, not just word though. See, watch. Not just word. But also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, passion. So what was that? I gave it to you. Pathos. Right? It was endued with power. It was, see, they didn't just get saved and a bunch of knowledge and facts filled their head. What was their experience when they got saved? Well, the Holy Spirit started working in them and changing them. And the power of God was manifest when they believed those things. And they had full conviction. I mean, there was, they didn't doubt anything that was taking place. The, the Bible says that the word of God through the spirit of God convinced them of the realities they were hearing. How did that happen? Next part of the verse. For you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. What is that? Ethos, right? So why did they have such conviction that what was being said to them was true? Inwardly, the Spirit of God moved in them. Outwardly, what did they know? They could see the truth in Paul's life and those who were his partners. So all three components were absolutely necessary to reach people with the gospel. So when we are reaching and evangelizing people, all three of these must be considered. In fact, I think we need an evangelistic anthropology. And all that means is this. When we reach people with the truth, we have to understand what people are. Listen, they are not brains on a stick. You know what that means? We automatically think so many times that when we people are, we give them the gospel, and I've had a million times, I've said it, Pastor Walker, I've given them the gospel, I, they've heard sermons on TV by Charles Stanley, and they went to church with us, and they heard, I don't know what's wrong, I, they're not getting saved. And we think that all that's necessary is to give them more facts, give them more knowledge, and believe me, that's a huge part of it, and that's the crux of it. But he says, we didn't come to you with just word only, Right? So here's what we think. Well, it must be a, a logos problem. So here's what we say. Give them another book. Give them another sermon to listen to. And that is good. And there's nothing wrong with it. But it may not be that that's all there is. It may be that they need some pathos. They need to be stirred by. Now, how many of you, beyond, if you remember back, if you were young and you saved, you might not. How many of you, when you got saved, cried? How many of you did not? Okay, almost same number, close. So there you go. See, some people, it was an emotional thing and they were stirred. 
and they were moved, and they were, it was that way for them. I don't know why, maybe their past, the background, what they're seeing God save them from, the motion of what was taking place, I don't know. But see, some people are that way. And sometimes God says, you know what they need? They need to be moved in their heart. And we, don't we pray that? God, don't give them a heart of stone. Give them, yeah, a heart of flesh. Because people need to be moved, right? You know, when the apostles preached the gospel in the early church, it said that the Pharisees and religious people, King James, I think, says, pricked in their heart. And the word means wounded. Wounded. If you watch, study for yourself, go through all the Gospels, and every time Jesus is evangelizing someone, especially someone who is obstinate to the truth, watch what he does. He does not make it easy for them. He turns up the heat. He, every single time. He wants them to know, think, you think you're so good, rich young ruler, that you can keep up. You know what he does? He turns up the heat. And he wants to show them there's no way that you, you are who you think you are. You know why? Because sometimes people need to hear it on the heart, on the inside, moved emotionally. And, and thirdly, you know what else they need? Listen to this. They may need some ethos. You know what that means? They need to see that this Christianity that you espouse and give the message for and tell them that without it they can't go to heaven, they need to see if it makes any difference in your life. Because here's what they say, and I've heard it many times, not personally, but people told me stories. I've heard people tell me stories of, and it hurt them when they heard this comment. Why would I need Jesus in my life? I'm not any different than you. I don't, I'm not any different than you. They would say this. Someone told me, you drink, I drink. You cuss, I cuss. You talk about these kind of movies that you go to, those are the ones that I go to. And they want to go, and what is Jesus going to do for me? So here, here's the thing. Paul says, you know what kind of men we were, we proved to be among you? We ethos, we were different. Now, my next slide I'm gonna, I think I got out of order. Let me go back one. Okay, here it is. Think with me, a little thought question here. Evangelizing moderns. This is maybe a half a generation ago. A half a generation ago, people believed in absolute truth. In other words, that things are true and it's been that way. Things about morality, things about virtue, society. There were truths and they could be believed and there was right and there was wrong and it was objectively determined what right and wrong was. It wasn't something that was based on your own personal opinion only, right? That isn't true today. That's modern. Moderns had absolute truth. Postmoderns do not have absolute truth. In other words, uh, I would tell someone, you need Jesus as your Savior, and they say, hey, that's great. They're not mad. If you need Jesus, and that's what does it for you, Pastor Walker, fantastic. I just don't. I don't doubt Jesus is whatever. I, I, this, that's just not, I don't need that. Or you could tell them, hey, I, don't, I believe that's wrong. I, I know you do, but I, I don't. In other words, you believe that, I believe that, we differ. It's okay. It doesn't really matter if we differ. But listen, that's truth for you. This is truth for me. And who's to really say what's right or wrong? So how do you go about people? How do you go about evangelizing someone who doesn't believe in absolute truth? And that's a ton of people today. A ton of them. It used to be able, and here's how we evangelize. Ready? This is true. 
We'd say Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He rose again. We'd give them all the gospel facts. This is true. Boom, boom, proposition after proposition. And then we'd say, if it's true, then you should believe it. And then if you believe it, you should live it. And for all our adult lives, for people my age, this is how we reach people with the gospel. But what do you do now that people don't believe what you're saying? They don't start off thinking the Bible is true. They don't believe it at all. They don't even believe Jesus is who he said he was. They have no absolute truth when it comes to morality, sexuality, vice, virtue, none of that. What do you do? Now today, watch, we have to come to this point where we say this is livable. So you know where the first thing is? They don't really care what you know. They don't care what you're tr- the truth you're trying to give them. They want to know, has it changed your life? They want to know how it's changed your life. And if they don't see in you any difference, there's no chance in creation they're ever going to believe it. So they want to know, is this livable? If it's livable, wow, if this really does it, and it used to be this, and now you're this, and look how you act every day, and you're different at work. You, you come in on time, and you leave and work extra, and you don't rip anybody off. Then if it's livable, wow, maybe it's even believable. And if it's believable, maybe it's true. See how they work? It's, a com- it's, um, it's absolutely opposite. It's backwards to all that we're used to. Let me give you an example. <laughs> we gave you these little cards tonight, Faith Baptist Church. And what did I tell you to do? I told you, wherever you might be having a conversation with someone, use them to invite them to church. Now, when I was growing up, we'd invite someone to church. And I would never get upset if they came in late. You know why? Why did I bring them to church? I want them to, yeah, I want them to hear the message. So if you miss the music or the preliminaries or the offering or the announcement or the special music or anything else, going, I, mean, I, you know, it wasn't great, but I, it didn't bother me because if you heard the message, that's really, you know, get to the message as fast as you can because that's what I want them to hear. You know why? Because moderns, they want the truth. Is that really the truth? And they hear it in the sermon. Now watch, though. You read surveys and people who are interviewed. You know what postmoderns do? They come in and they listen and watch everything. I, I read an article. Listen to what they say about coming to church services. When the offering is given, they're not talking to someone else, fooling around, daydreaming. You know what they say, postmodern unbelievers? They're looking to see if Christianity affects you and your money. So they're watching people put money in the plate. Not how much, but if they are. Because they want to know if Christianity is livable. Does it really change your view and habits of your finances? Do you have economic freedom? Do you, not, they would no tithe, but do you give? They want to know that. They want to see that. Has it freed you from materialism? Do you care more about God and people than you do your own self and your money? So they care about the offering. They're not just waiting for the message. They're looking about what is Christianity really doing in these people's lives. Prayer. When the pastor prays or people pray, you know what? These are the four things. They want to know is God is a personal enough God that he would actually hear anyone praying to him. Number two, 
They want to know if there is truly a God powerful enough to actually care enough to answer those prayers. So not only do they want to know what you're praying and that you have a relationship with God and that's what it sounds like, but they want to know, hey, when you have answered, oh, I praise someone who said, God answered my prayer. And they go, oh, wow. Wow, God does that? Prayer was also for them a personal thing about whether God cared about just big things, I got cancer, or little things. Does God care about both ends of the spectrum? And fourth, and that when people prayed, they didn't just pray about things for themselves, help me, give me, do this for me, but they prayed for other people as passionately as they pray for themselves. Does Christianity in churches make people care about the people they say they love? See, when postmoderns walk in here, they're not just waiting for the sermon to hear the argument about what Jesus did for you. They're looking already to say, oh, watch these people come in. I guess they don't care enough about anybody else because they come in one minute before the service starts, and as soon as it's over, they're out of here. Wow, it must be really important to stay around and talk to other Christians. They see all that. They see all that when they come in here. They even said announcements. They said they're listening. Here's what they hear in announcements. Wow, you have a ministry that helps inner city people? You're not just stuck in the suburbs and not caring? That you take food to people in your church that are sick and can't get out and had surgery? Oh, you're having something for older people and something for younger people at the same time? Wow, you had a Hispanic group come up and sing, and wow, that choir was filled with all kinds of ethnicity. You do something for poor people? You have showers for homeless people? You know what? They're listening. You know why? Because they want to know, is Christianity really livable? Does it make a difference in your life? And you know what we do in our offerings, in our choir numbers, in our songs, and all that we do? You know what it is? We show them that Christianity transforms everything. So when Paul says in 1.5 that it wasn't word only, they're not just brains on a stick, they are whole beings. A holistic view of evangelism says people have a mind, people have emotions, right? And people have character, lifestyles. And so what Paul says, can I point it out to you in verse 5? You know what kind of men we proved to be among you. Proved to be among you, even as we are, it says, in the original language. So what Paul's not saying, listen in verse 5, is not that we have powerful preaching and powerful living. Listen to this. The little connecting word says this. Our powerful preaching comes by our powerful living. In other words, the most effective evangelism is when what you say is backed up by what you do. Do you know James 2 by heart? James 2.14 says, if there's someone, someone comes into you and says, they need something to eat, and I'm paraphrasing. And all that you do is you say to them, be warmed and filled, but you don't give them anything. You know what the, the question is? Well, what good is it? In other words, faith, he says, without works, is dead. But what is a faith that people want? If you tell them, they come in and say, oh, I'm so hungry, I don't have anything to eat. You say, be warmed and filled, and they don't leave empty-handed, but you sit down and you give them a meal, you sit them at your table, and you show them kindness, you know what they say? Oh, that's what Christianity is. Christianity isn't just, oh, hey, I'd like to help you. Or, no, they actually do help. You ever read 1 John chapter 3? 1 John chapter 3, 16 is like John three sixteen, but in the back of the New Testament. 
It says, you know what? The way that we love God is by how we love others. And the people who have needs, right, we meet those needs. First John 3, read it for yourself sometimes. You know what kind of people we were among you, he says. Look at verse 4. Four times, take your pen and circle them. The little in preposition, I-N, is in there. They didn't just have gospel knowledge. They had a gospel experience. In power, in the Holy Spirit, in full conviction. And it's not in the original, I mean, in the English there. But it says in verse 5 that what kind of people we were among you, it's in your presence. It's the same word, in again. So you know what's important? Not just that it was in the Spirit, not that it was powerful, not that it just had full conviction, but it was given in the context of relationships. And can I tell you, listen, more people today are going to be one to Jesus, not because you slip them a track, although I do that. Not because you just give them a little card, although we are doing that. Not even, can I say this? Not even just because you bring them to church, and that is a great thing to do. You know what's going to make the difference? If they see the difference in you. That you actually have a relationship with them, and they have you over. I have two sets of people that I'm trying to reach with the gospel right now, and all of them, both of them, are people that I have meals with every time I talk. I don't know if I've ever had a gospel conversation that wasn't about a meal, which is very biblical, I'll have you know. And Jesus was eating all the time and giving out the gospel. And I just follow his example. I'm trying to do whatever he did, right? But that is different. Why? Because here's the truth. Paul evangelized with gospel logos. First thing he did was with word, but not word only. Notice it did not say. Did you notice this? Look at the text. It didn't say, for we did not come to you. It doesn't say that. What does it say? The gospel did not come to you. You know why? Because when Paul came to Thessalonica, the gospel came to Thessalonica. You know what Paul would say? I became the gospel. In fact, doesn't it say that in the text? Notice what it says. And you became imitators of us and received the Lord. For you know what kind of men, listen, verse 5, that we were and it's literally proved to be, is the same word we became. You know what we did? We became the gospel for you. We didn't just tell it to you. We didn't give you the facts. We became it. We lived it. We showed you what it was. We proved it to you. Let me show you what he says. Turn over one page. Chapter 2 and verse 10. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you. Look at that. Holy, righteous, blameless. That's what they saw. Paul says, you not only heard the gospel, you saw the gospel in me. Watch, chapter 2 and verse 1. You yourselves, circle it, know. Remember 1.5? He says, you know what kind. He's talking about the experience that they knew this. This was not new. He said, remember what we did, how we lived among you? Verse 5, you know it. Chapter 2, verse 1, he's reminding him again. You know it. Chapter 2 and verse 2, as you know. Chapter 2 and verse 5, he says, as you know. Chapter 10, your witness, 2, verse 10. Verse 11, for you know. Here's what he says over and again. You know it, you know it, you know it. We lived this way. We didn't do this. We did do this. You watched us. You know this Christianity is real because look how it changed my life. So let me ask you as we close. 
Would people know that you're a Christian because of what you say or because of what you do? Would they know that you're a Christian because how you care about them? Paul says evangelizing idolatry in postmodern world, here's what we say, you have to evangelize with gospel logos. You have to give them the word. You certainly have to give them the gospel. But also pathos. You have to do it with passion and love, and you have to care about them, get into their life. And listen, and when you're doing that, you have to do it with gospel ethos. What's that mean? You have to live it out before them. They have to see that Jesus isn't somebody 2,000 years ago in a book. He's real because he's real in your life. Francis Assisi once said, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Paul would hate that. And the devil loves it. You know why? The devil loves it if you think this, well, I'll, I'll just be a good Christian in front of him when I can. That's never enough when it comes to evangelism. Listen, giving them the gospel is always with words. Sometimes it's more, but it's never less than that. And Paul says, listen, You have to have logos, pathos, ethos. All of them have to be working together. I changed Francis Assisi. Sorry about that. Live the gospel at all times and as necessary use words. In other words, they work together. I live the gospel and when I get a chance, I'm going to tell them everything I absolutely can about it. That's what our faith should be about. Let me close with the last verse, chapter 2 and verse 8. He says he was affectionately desirous of you. I show you that lastly tonight. You know why? It's the only time that word is used in the entire New Testament. It's the only instance of it. And what it is, is someone in the side carrying you. The only other instance in Greek literature history that I know of is four centuries after Paul died, there was a tombstone found in a cemetery, and it had the inscription of two parents' names and, and then it had their son who had died and was buried there. And this word says, uh, we affectionately desired him, their name of the child, when he was alive. In other words, it's an emotional term. It's a pathos term. He really cared about them. Chapter 1, verse 5, he said, you know, you know what kind of men we prove to be for your sake. Paul didn't do things. He didn't evangelize people to get a gospel notch on his gun belt. He wasn't doing it because, wow, that's just really cool. Now I can go back to church and brag about who I got saved this week. You know what? It was from the end. He really loved people. He loved God and he loved people. Isn't that what we're supposed to be about, Faith Baptist? That's why you evangelize, right? Logos, pathos, ethos. You know what it means? It's a whole person evangelism where we're the whole person trying to reach another whole person. It starts in here with a love for God and for people, and that's what drives us to go and grow. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful. Thankful for these words tonight that you've given to us. Thank you for 1 Thessalonians 1.5. We ask, God, that you would help us to practice all three of those components when we reach out to people with the truth of the gospel. Father, In order to do that, it's so much easier to be a hit-and-run evangelist where we just dump the gospel on them, move on to the next person. But it's far more difficult and far more important that we see them as a whole person, that we take the time to build relationships as platforms for the gospel, that we care about them, 
that we live a life before them that they can see Jesus in our actions, our attitudes, our words, our work ethic, at our job, everything we do, may they see you. Because we're to adorn the gospel, Titus says, to make it beautiful looking. Father, I pray you'll help us to do that as we go this week. Help us to go and grow as a result of it because we're evangelizing people with your heart and mind. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.